Hello, and welcome to Heilman and Haver, the stage and screen podcast, episode 39, coming to you from Casa de Quinn and 1111 Studios in beautiful Port Orchard in sunny Washington State, USA. I'm Matt Haver. And I'm Greg Heilman. We're two local actors looking to hone our craft by exploring the best in local theater and on the big screen. Each week, we bring you entertainment news and views, celebrate classic Hollywood, enjoy cocktails with a Tinseltown twist, interview talented local actors and directors, and chat with industry experts from L.A. to the U.K., Today is July 30th, 2021, and welcome to episode 39. Last week, we began our conversation with Carrie Bible, film lover, historian, and tour guide at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. In a few moments, we'll share the second half of our interview with Carrie and learn about her show, Hollywood Kitchen, where she recreates recipes of the stars from Hollywood's Golden Age. Stay tuned. First, a big thank you to everyone who came out to the Historic Roxy Theater last Saturday for the largest Movies of the Decade event to date for the 1970s Star Wars. It was an amazing night, complete with signature drinks, incredible costumes, Another insightful introduction by our friend Jeremy Arnold and nearly 500 fans in attendance. Don't miss the next film in the series, Saturday, August 21st, for the 1980s, E.T. Get your tickets now at roxyfoundation.com showtimes. But you don't have to wait until then to visit the Roxy, of course. August 6th through 8th, they'll be hosting the West Sound Film Festival. The festival features a large array of films from local, national, and international filmmakers, including experimental, documentaries, Comedies, horror, music videos, dramas, animated, feature-length films, and more. We'll be there from the red carpet to the award ceremony, so make plans to join us. Get your tickets and more information at westsoundfilmfestival.com and stay tuned to our Facebook page and YouTube channels for live coverage and interviews from the festival. Born a heterochromatic baby, put down the medical reference book, it means she's got two different colored eyes. With last name Bible on Halloween night, Carrie was destined to be nothing if not unique. Her passion for history and Hollywood's past led her to starting a cemetery tour in 2002 under the guidance of historian Mark Wanamaker. In keeping with her love of living history, she gives the tour in vintage gowns from her collection that spans the 1920s through the 1950s. Carrie's lectured at the Old Town Music Hall, the Queen Mary, the Homestead Museum, and is also a lady in black to honor silent film star Rudolph Valentino. Plus, she created the website and e-newsletter filmradar.com about specialty film events in Los Angeles. Carrie's appeared in segments for Turner Classic Movies, CNN, History Channel, and Travel Channel, and she co-authored the book Location Filming in Los Angeles with historians Mark Wanamaker and Harry Medved, and co-authored Hollywood Celebrates the Holidays with Mary Mallory. A vintage lifestyle devotee, Carrie is also the host of Hollywood Kitchen, where she makes recipes of stars from Hollywood's Golden Age, all while interviewing historians, authors, and her fellow film lovers. She joined us from her home in Los Angeles. We now return to the second half. Enjoy. One thing that I, I think you have taken, not just with your with your tour, but with your other uh, endeavor, the Hollywood Kitchen, another example of trying to show people in a light that they, a better light, probably more realistic light than they've been portrayed in the past. I watched recently your episode with uh, about Joan Crawford's fruit salad, and you had her grandson, Casey Lalonde, on, which I thought was a great episode. Because he's dedicated his life to trying to clear his his grandmother's name from the all the mommy dearest stuff and and things like that. So I think I appreciate the work you're doing with trying to bring a better, more realistic light to more human light to these people that for so long are just they're they're on a pedestal, but they're also at the same time a target. So in Hollywood Kitchen, just as the background, I want to uh, find out a little bit more about that. Is 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 it every week that you? do a, a new recipe that's related to a star how, how did how did that come about well it came about because um many years ago a friend gave me a first edition version of vincent price's 1960s cookbook a treasury of recipes or i'm forgetting the title but anyway it's it's a 
huge, thick Vincent Price cookbook. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> yeah, Vincent was quite the gourmet, you guys. I mean, seriously, Vincent knew his stuff. So anyway, um, I kind of started collecting celebrity cookbooks and celebrity recipes. The irony being, I'm not much of a cook at all. And I get takeout food or Trader Joe's pre-made meals all the time. But then I kind of got this idea of doing a little show. And I thought it would be part talk show, part cooking demo, part vintage dinner party, eating and talking about stuff. And then I was all ready to do it. And then the pandemic hit. And at first I thought, well, this will just be like a week or two. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. And then of course it hit me. Oh my gosh, this is an indefinite sort of thing. And then I thought, well, I'll just try this on Zoom. So I've been doing most of them on Zoom. I try to do them every week. I'm not, I'm, I'm not able to keep that going forever just because my schedule and my crazy life. Sure. But for now, I'm trying to do them pretty consistently on Sunday afternoons. And this coming weekend is going to be my first live episode in the same room with my guest. So that's exciting stuff. I'm, oh, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's going to be in a historic house owned by my friend, Danny Miller. And we're going to interview Anna Mae Wong's niece, also named Anna Mae Wong. Awesome. So how do you choose yeah. the, how, how do you choose the, the recipe? And, the, and then I guess the follow-up question is that, how do you choose a guest? Um, so do you choose a, a specific celebrity that you're thinking about and then go after a recipe or you just go through your cookbooks and say, hey, here's Joan Crawford's fruit salad. This would be awesome to do and take it from there. It really kind of varies and depends. I mean, part of my decision making was based on, am I actually willing to eat this item? Because <laughs> times are hard, <laughs> groceries are expensive. And I don't want to throw money down the drain. And if it's something so freaking disgusting, there's no way I would ever eat it. I really don't want to try making it. Like I, I will not eat veal. So you would be amazed how many recipes are off the table since I will not cook veal. I'm not doing veal. And I, when I started this whole project, I did not know what sweet bread was. And I found a William Powell recipe for sweet bread. And I called a friend, my friend, Mary Stanford is a much better cook than me. And she's very helpful on all these episodes. And I called her and I would go, Mary, William Powell's recipe says to submerge the sweet bread in water. But if I put the bread under water, it's just going to fall apart. <laughs> and there's like this long silence. And she's like, Carrie, you know what sweet bread is, right? And I go, yeah, it's bread that's sweet. And she's like, no, Carrie, that's cow intestine. And I was like, oh, I did not know that. So there's certain things I'm just like. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down. There. Yeah. So many more recipes make so much more sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. I try to do stuff that's kind of seasonal. Like right now it's blistering hot in LA. And if I use my stove, my whole apartment is 350. So cool recipes are crucial right now. Also, uh, I'm very lucky in that we have such a great film history community here. And I know a lot of collectors and I know a lot of people. So like when I started this stuff, I was like, well, a friend of mine collects on Anne Dvorak, the biographer of Christina Rice. My friend Darren Barnes collects on Norma Shearer. My friend Daryl Rooney collects on Jean Harlow. So a lot of it was based on I knew fabulous people who had written books about these people who had collections. And it was, wasn't too hard to find a corresponding recipe. So it just sometimes depends on the season, what kind of food, who I happen to know, you know, sort of different, different things at work. I've got some really cool Halloween episodes lined up for this fall. I'm already so excited about. 
Well, speaking of Halloween, Vincent Price is not the first person who would come to mind when you think gourmet chef, necessarily. Were there any other celebrities that really surprised you to find out that they were uh, lovers of the um, of the culinary arts? Uh, Joan Crawford really loved cooking. Uh, Joan Fontaine, like, trained to be a cook. Uh, Danny Kaye apparently really enjoyed cooking. It's kind of interesting, though, because a lot of these episodes, I've had people email me and say, oh, you know, they really didn't make that. And my response is always, well, be that as it may. I mean, yeah, if you're making movies 15 hours a day, six days a week, there's a pretty good chance they did not cook. But for me, it's a fun jumping off point to talk about them, regardless of the recipe's authenticity. I don't know if you caught the Fay Ray one I did, but I found a ton of Fay Ray recipes in magazines, newspapers, and cookbooks. And I emailed her daughter this long list of things I found. And the daughter, Victoria Riskin, who's fabulous, she said, you know, Carrie, she didn't make any of this stuff. And I said, okay, what did she make? And that's what we'll do. And luckily it was a salad. So yay, it was not <laughs> an item that needed my stove. So it's fun to also talk to the families and find out, okay, if they didn't make it, what would they have eaten? What would they have made? And let's do that. So I did that with also with Victor Mature's daughter. And that was so much fun. And I think that's the beauty of it. And it's actually the, the beauty of food. And you watch a lot of the um, chefs who have these, uh, you know, celebrity chefs who have the shows. And the one thing they talk about with food all the time is that, it's really not about the food. It's about the community yep. and the food brings together. And that's what, what I enjoyed about these is, is it's the discussions and the chatting and the back and forth that you have. Yes, you made fruit salad and the, and the fruit salad looks good. And it was Joan Crawford's fruit salad. But it's the conversation you had with a grandson that, that really was the value of, of the show. Thank you. Sometimes I get flustered at my interview skills and I'm like, oh, my interview is not as focused as it should be or whatever. But then I think, well... I'm not James Lipton. I'm not trying to be James <laughs> Lipton. But to me, I try to treat it as if that person was in my kitchen hanging out with me. Like it's not super. So in 1900, you know what I mean? It's more like, mm -hmm. okay, so, you know, it's more of a casual, we're in the kitchen together kind of situation. It's really been a lifesaver to me during the pandemic. I'm so glad I started doing these because before I do each episode, usually I do a rehearsal with the guest. And it's been so fun to just hang out with different guests on camera and cook together, talk together. It's totally kind of been a sanity lifeline for me, you know, during this whole thing. And I think food, food and movies both have the power to bring us together because no matter where you live, what language you speak, what you do for a living, how you vote, what you make, whatever, most people love movies and they love food. It's hard to find someone that hates either one of those things. So it's sort of a unifying thing. No, I totally agree. And something that we found also is unifying up here is we do a cocktail segment. So we do uh, cocktails with a Tinseltown twist. And oh. uh, it's it's really a lot of fun because Greg's an expert mixologist, a hobby that he started during the pandemic with his quarantine cocktails. And there's nothing I love more than talking about film. So we pick a movie or pick a cocktail and kind of find where they they meet and hands down our most popular segment. And we do it on video twice a month. So check those out in the mix on our YouTube channel. Yeah. In fact, um, I decided to do something kind of crazy this year since the Oscars were kind of not fun this year for most of us because I hadn't seen any of those movies on a big screen with my friends like I normally would. I just felt so emotionally detached from everything. I did a four hour long Oscar cookathon and I got a whole roster of guests and everybody made a dish from either a nominee or a winner. And we had like an online live Zoom party. Oh, that's awesome. I know that sounds insane, but we did it for four hours. And 
My friend Teresa in New York logged in and did celebrity cocktails. My friend Beth logged in from Northern California and did mocktails. And everybody kind of picked a different Oscar winner or nominee and the food came out. It was so diverse. Everybody kind of picked wildly different stars, different eras, different foods. It was really fun. So I think I'm going to try to do that every year. That sounds really fun. It was probably the funnest, well, without, you know, giving too much of my opinion of the actual Oscars telecast. It was probably more, a lot more fun than that. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I had a few friends email me and go, wow, that was more fun than the show. And a bunch of us got dressed up. I sat in my kitchen in an evening gown and baked Hattie McDaniel's cornbread on camera. So it was kind of fun to just everybody kind of have our own little version of the Academy Awards. And you're, and you're learning a little something at the same time, which is nice. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I think I want to do that every year, you know? Why not? I, have there been any, uh, now you said you, there are certain things that you don't like to cook, that you refuse to cook, like veal. What has been the most challenging of your recipes? What's stretched your skill set the most that you've, that you've taken on? That's hard to say. I, I think Marilyn Monroe stuffing, that was a struggle. I'm not going to lie. Because uh, it's got raisins, nuts, hard-boiled eggs. I accidentally burned it. And Mary Stanford, my, my friend and collaborator, I, we've been friends for like 18 years and I left her this voicemail and she later told me it was like the funniest voicemail I've ever left her. But I was just like, I'm having an emotional crisis over Marilyn Monroe stuffing, call me now. <laughs> <laughs> it was challenging to make it, it was so unusual. And I just kept thinking I was messing it up. And, and also jello molds are really tricky too. Hmm. I had no idea they were so tricky, but they can be. And I've done a couple Jello mold episodes, so. Something from bygone days as well. We don't see a lot of yeah. those. Yeah, <laughs> well, I wanted to be um, authentic. I live in a 20s garden court apartment. I wanted to be as real to the air as I could. So I found some 1930s Jello molds on eBay that had never before been used and they were still in the original wrapping. And that's what I use for my Jello molds when I do the show. So this is like the first time they've been used. So that's kind of fun. We asked one of our uh, past guests, Greg Barbanel, who's a Foley artist for NBC Universal, what his favorite tool was, what his favorite sound maker was, and what is your favorite kitchen tool? What's your go-to? Oh gosh, I honestly don't know. I will say you love you love your depression wear. I love my depression wear. Yes, it's so beautiful. You know, you know one thing the pandemic sort of taught me is that before the pandemic. I collect vintage clothes and I have so many clothes I've never worn or I've worn once because I'm saving them for a special occasion or the depression dishes. I used to only eat off them New Year's Eve and that was it. And now I'm like, you know what? Every day is a special occasion, darn it. I am using those dishes. I am wearing those clothes. Like, I think that's kind of one post pandemic realization for me is just, you know, what you have today that's here. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a good point. We've got some depression where that was my wife's grandmothers or great-grandmothers that I'm afraid to breathe on. So I'm never invited over to the house, Greg. Jeez. It's very, it's very <laughs> delicate. But what I will say is this. Uh, don't put depression glass in the microwave or the dishwasher if you have one. And don't melt cheese on it. Those are things that I would recommend. But it's... Have you, have you learned that from experience? Not from personal experience per se, but it's just, it's kind of delicate. Like delicate things, you just have to treat them gently and like I just wash it very gently and put it away gently and just, you know, but uh, it's the thing is though, too, it's not that hard to find it. Like it's all over eBay, any antique store, you can find it. So it's not like if it breaks, you're breaking some priceless billion dollar, you know what I mean? It's still, it's beautiful stuff. I love that stuff. 
Speaking of vintage, uh, one of the nice things for Greg and I, uh, having done the Zoom thing for so long, is that, you know, nobody really sees how we're dressed. We can be pretty casual. But you take it the other direction, and you have this collection of vintage, these vintage gowns, which is dresses that you wear. Could you tell us a little bit about how that collection started and if you've got any special pieces that you like to... You feature them on each episode, I understand. I try. Um, it's a little tricky because I don't want to spill something down the front of something right. very special <laughs> and delicate. And it's also very, very hot in my kitchen. So that kind of dictates to a degree what I wear. Um, well, I've always loved clothes and fashion my whole life. And when I first moved to Los Angeles, I was 26 and it was it was 2000. It was kind of the end or the tail end of the sort of the swing dance era where everybody would go to the Derby and Los Feliz and swing dance on Sunday nights. And I wanted to go and I thought, well, if I go, I have to get dressed. So I went to a thrift store and I'd always kind of struggled with self-esteem and stuff, which I think a lot of people do. And I went to a thrift store and I found this beautiful like 1950s navy blue dress and I put it on and I looked in the mirror and I was like, I would analogize it to like the first time Peter Parker becomes Spider-Man. You just kind of go, wow, I have this thing, you know? And so for me, I just felt like I found my thing. And so after that, I started collecting and it's not a cheap hobby to have, but that said, um, if you look at sales, you go to estate sales, garage sales, eBay, Etsy, stores, you know, get to know collectors. It's, it's not as expensive as one would think once you kind of figure out the resources, but I enjoy it. It's uh, fun. And I feel kind of like I probably feel more suited to that sort of fashion than I do like modern day stuff. Yeah, I've always felt like maybe I should have been this age in the 50s or 60s. I think a lot of people feel like that. The music, the films, the, you know, the the, yeah. the clothes. <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Like, don't you wish you lived back then? But I always say no. And people go, why? And I'm like, well, as a female, though, things would not have been good for me. I mean, that would have played into it. Yes. Yeah. My great, great grandmother died of kidney failure at 28 years old. They didn't have the kind of medicine we do back then, you know, and I've. I feel like I've been able to, you know, graduate college, visit other countries, support myself. I've been able to kind of live a life that I don't think would have been possible at that time. Yeah, there's probably a good way to answer that question because, you know, you feel, I think like Matt said, all of us feel that way that, hey, it would have been cool to be able to dress in the fashion of a certain time period or something, but there's always those other ancillary the things. Side, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like I would have, you know, you think about the glamorization of the Wild West, but it's kind of nice to be able to take a shower. Oh, yeah. Gosh, you know, yeah. Good dental care. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I um, <laughs> I read this fascinating book about Dr. Joseph Lister called The Butchering Art. Yes, I've heard of it. It was good. It's fantastic. And it makes you grateful on your hands and knees and face that we live now when there is technology, because you yep. can imagine if you got <laughs> sick in Victorian Scotland, you were completely out of luck. So yeah, I mean, I, I love that I'm able to have the freedom that I have today and the life I have today, but I love the art and the architecture and the fashion and the cars and the clothes and the movies. And I love all of those things. And I feel very fortunate that I can still love them and enjoy them from the world that I have now. So, yeah. Well, and you're and not only that, but you're you're keeping that history alive. I just read a great piece in Vanity Fair about the stall house. Uh, that you can go visit, you know, the kind of the seminal piece of architecture, LA architecture from the 60s. And it's still available, it's still owned by the by the family, but you can go and visit it and you can get a, a taste of what it was like to live in this beautiful home 
that kind of became the the focal point for all architecture that came out of that decade. And you're doing the same thing with with the dresses, with the tours that you um, that you go on. Now I want to go back to the tours real quick. Have you ever had any celebrities come on the tour? Oh yeah, yeah. Here's the thing though, I I never want to like. I try very, very hard to be super professional. Like I don't pretend that I know who they are or I don't ask for selfies or autographs because I just feel like, you know, they're regular people. They just want to live their life like everybody else. So I really try to just treat them as I would treat any guest. Have they been relatives of people who've been buried there? No. I mean, I guess I can say some of them because some of them were followed by paparazzi when they took the tour. But um (laughs) I'm not kidding you. It was weird. Um, Emma Stone, Andrew Garfield, uh, Christina Hendricks from Mad Men. Um, those are just some of them. But, you know, like I said, I I used to work at HBO. I worked at Miramax. You know, you see how stars are hounded all the time. So I just try to, you know, be courteous and kind and treat them like a normal person. Well, it's cool to see that those younger Hollywood stars are maybe trying to get a taste Oh, yes, that made me very happy. That's what I thought, too. They paid very careful attention, too. I mean, they weren't fiddling with their phones or wondering. I mean, they were technically listening, and they were very nice. So, Actually, my fantasy would be if David Lynch or John Waters took the tour. Those are like my my dream tour guests, to be honest. (laughs) Well, if you're out there listening, uh, guys, (laughs) you have an open invitation. (laughs) Right. So on the on the show on the Hollywood Kitchen show, uh, these you get some phenomenal guests and, and a lot of relations to the the stars and the uh, actors that you're you're featuring. Has there been one you know kind of along the lines of Matt's question about a uh, celebrities and and people that have cool that have showed up on the tour? Has there been one guest on your show that you've really thought, wow, this is a great get? Well, I'm really excited about having Anna Mae Wong's niece. Because I didn't know her. Like a lot of these people, like either I knew them or I had a friend of a friend who knew them, you know? And in the case of Anna Mae Wong, I didn't know her at all. I knew a composer, Cliff Retallick, who knew her. And so it wasn't like this direct connection. Do you know what I mean? And I love Anna Mae Wong and I think her story and her life are so important. So I was just really excited to be able to, to get her and talk with her and, uh, I've got a huge wish list, believe me. As, as do we. <laughs> I've tried to get Vincent Price's daughter and also Boris Karloff's daughter. I have not succeeded, but I will I will ask and ask again. So uh, I know they're busy. I mean, when your dad's a horror icon, I can imagine that many, many people are knocking at your door. Well, something we've really enjoyed is, is you know, as this show came out of quarantine and I don't know if maybe folks were just a little less busy during quarantine. I know that most were, but uh, we really were able to talk to a lot of really cool people within a short period and uh, folks like yourself with great stories and doing really interesting work. And I think we're all just kind of seeking that sense of community. And Zoom is uh, it's a pretty distant replication, uh, but we've just been able to start having local guests back in uh, and you know live and be together. And man, it's just like you said, uh, when it comes to the way you dress and what you eat off of and all those things, just spoil yourself because, you know, we took it for granted for a while and we're never going to again. And thinking back, I think I took a lot of things in my life for granted before this that I didn't know would not be there. Like, I mean, I was talking about all the classic films out here. I would go to see a classic movie on the big screen anywhere from three to five, six nights a week. 
And to all of a sudden be locked in my apartment, not even able to leave some days because we even had a curfew here of like five o'clock during part of that. I mean, I would just feel like I was losing my mind and going to the grocery store. That was a huge deal for a while. That was so stressful and intense. And there were times you'd had to hope you even found things because that was hard. And so, yeah, there were things I never thought that I would be dealing with. And God, I feel so grateful now. Well, as do we, and uh, we're looking forward to planning a trip to L.A., hopefully later in the fall, so we will make sure to put the tour on our list of stops. Close up, the cemetery cat and I will be happy to show you around. And if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, they want to see Hollywood Kitchen, they want to book a tour, what's the best way for folks to reach you? Oh, sure. Uh, Cemeterytour.com, C-E-M-E-T-E-R-Y, tour.com or hollywoodkitchenshow.com. I post videos, recipes, photos, all sorts of stuff there too. Yes, including the, uh, going back to the Joan Crawford episode, you had the spread from the magazine is Photo, Photoplay? Photoplay magazine, 1935. That was what yes, I that Yes, the article about Joan Crawford and how she entertains, which I think is, was fabulous. You just don't hear about celebrities entertaining like that anymore, at least publicly. I have to imagine they do entertain and, and things like that, but not as as publicly maybe as they as they used to. And I found that that fascinating, just kind of a glimpse into that into that world of 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 old Hollywood and and that whole society. Well, celebrity culture is so different now. Like uh, about five years ago, I co-wrote a photo book called Hollywood Celebrates the Holidays, and it's photos of stars at like Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, Valentine's, etc. They're PR photos. But today they don't do that. Like today, if you see a photo of a star in front of a Christmas tree, it's because they took it themselves and they put it on Instagram. It's not because they were under contract at a studio and the studio, you know, made them do a photo session. So yeah, it's very, very different today. Well, we're glad you're keeping the history alive down there. And like I said, next time we're in town, we will be on that tour. It sounds fascinating. So cemeterytour.com and then also a Hollywood Kitchen Show dot com mm-hmm. for all your info yeah. awesome i hope all our listeners will will check out uh, both websites and you what i really love here i got to mention too as we close is cemeterytour.com there's a reading recommended reading page see i love that and we do a oh, lot yeah. of uh, we have a lot of authors come on the show and uh, it's going to be a good start for us we'll start working through this list and getting some of these authors on thanks to you guys oh thank you that's great i've always tried to recommend books and movies for people if they want to know more and those lists are just jumping off points really but I, I try to hopefully get people to look deeper and discover more. All right. Well, this has been a great, great conversation, Carrie. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. We'll, we'll hopefully see you very soon. That'd be awesome. Thank you again to our guest, Carrie Bible. Find out more about her tour, rated the best history tour by LA Magazine, at cemeterytour.com and her adventures cooking up the recipes of stars at hollywoodkitchenshow.com. Join us next week, Friday, August 6th, when we'll be joined by local artist and set painter extraordinaire, Tina Henley-Hicks. And if you enjoy the show, make sure to follow us and share the podcast with a friend or two. Tell them to visit HeilmanandHaver.com and tune in on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Amazon Audible, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Or drop us a message on Facebook or Twitter and check out photos of all of Greg's snazzy cocktails on Instagram. As always, thank you, wherever you are, for supporting local theater and for joining us on Heilman and Haver. 